0: Maybe you've seen that internet picture of those people in China receiving their first Bible and they are clutching those books to their chest and they're weeping with joy. Just to say that your Thanksgiving isn't complete if you have not stopped to thank God that you have a copy of God's word in your hand. The, The light that has come into your life because of this is just unspeakable. And knowing that, we're going to stand and we're going to read a portion of God's Word. And I want your neighbor to hear you read it, and I want you to hear them read. Stand together and let's all read. Out loud with great voice. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You be seated, please, and open your Bible to Second Corinthians chapter 12. It's a strange story, uh, vague in some parts, familiar maybe, but fascinating, compelling, what Paul is telling here. Something that happened 14 years ago, and Paul has never talked about it until now. And rather than an outline this morning, I have four words, and a fifth that I'll add in just a moment. And each of these will be a piece of the puzzle that will help us hear this whole thing taken together. And God help us, perhaps the Holy Spirit will come near to you and apply this to your heart, to your situation, and you will know what you should do. The first is boasting. It's an uncomfortable thing for Paul. He's been pushed to it by his proud opponents. They all have had visions and supernatural experiences with the Lord, and they've taken those high spiritual moments as signs of their spiritual superiority. They, they believe because they've had these dreams that somehow that makes them superior to others. It's been a validation of their ministry and their leadership. So because that's the cultural set, Paul reluctantly begins to tell uh, experiences of his own, these high spiritual moments. He begins in verse 2 in third person. I know a man who 14 years ago he was caught up into heaven. But he he can't keep that up. Uh, By verse 7 he drops the mask and he begins to be very clear that this is still Really, This is really about him. This is a vision that happened to him. Look this way. Boasting is not always a bad thing. Kokeo is the Greek verb, and it means things about you that are true. Uh, things that are really yours because God has given them valuable. It's very close to our idea of self-esteem or to identity. If you, Will Will Rogers used to say, it ain't bragging if it's true. Well, so what we think of boasting is always arrogant or self-absorbed. In the scripture, it's really not. It is the ability to say that thing about you that is true, that you can be confident, will always be true because God gave it to you. Um, That's what Paul says in verse 6. He says, actually... I don't want to talk about these huge spiritual experiences. I just want you to know who I am. I'm comfortable being who God made me. I know who I am. And so here's a question for you this morning. Do you know who you are? Do Are you clear in your identity in Christ, your calling, what he, where you fit in this great plan of His? Can you boast? Do you you know that certain center of life, your identity, your meaning. So the second word is then vision. A supernatural experience of God's presence or truth. Now, those of you who study the scripture some, the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, that was a vision where Jesus began to glow white. Uh, every angel appearance, that's a A vision. Um, the, uh, I, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Those are visions. It is a moment when truth that is normally invisible, it's always present in a parallel sort of way, but it is invisible. You don't see it. You get caught up in your busy life. And before long, life is about a trip to HEB or your family coming in or a football game or a vacation. You get caught. You get little visioned. And so a vision makes you look and see spiritual reality that was always there you just didn't notice. Now Paul he began his spiritual experience with a vision that rode to Damascus. He saw the resurrected Christ. Years later in Acts 16 he will have the Macedonian vision vision, that man saying come over here and help us. In our day, we are hearing of the Lord appearing to Muslims in Muslim countries where they are locked away from the Scripture. And the Lord is, by his grace, appearing to those people. And they are converting as they see the resurrected Savior in this vision. It's a reminder to all of us that the world that you live in is much bigger than you're thinking, much bigger. It really is not about just this little life that you've put together. It's not about your retirement. It's not about your health. It's not about your family. You are part, and I am part, of a cosmically huge drama of God making himself known back to a world that's rebelled against him. So the third word then today is thorn. It's the second part of the same experience. Paul believed that they were Two connected experiences. Because of the greatness of the revelation, to keep him from exalting himself, God gave Paul an intensely painful circumstance. And we don't know what it was. Scholars argue about it all the time, but the truth is nobody knows what this is. It could be physical, it could be psychological, it could be social, we don't know. All we know is it hurt. It was very painful for Paul. And the first side is that pride, then, is a huge issue to God. It is the great mistake of the human race. Paul says, I had such great revelations, but God was concerned that I would become proud, so he gave me this pain to control it. Even people who love God can become proud. Um, I've got this, we begin to say to him. I've got this subconsciously uh, I know my job I, I, I've got this family thing I know how to be a citizen I, I've, I've got my life together after a while even those who say they love Jesus begin to operate as if this life was really about them and their own management of it self-confident self-ruled self-referencing self-sufficient that's the mistake that God takes to be so serious Now, the word is actually not thorn in an English sense. It's scullops, uh, which is closer to the idea of stake, uh, like the stake that was driven into the ankles of the Lord to hold him on the cross. So to read this accurately, you've really got to imagine intense pain. This is not just a splinter or something that needs a Band-Aid. This is killing Paul. Um... And with the pains, the physical pain, comes then the spiritual, he says, there's a messenger of Satan that comes alongside with it. Uh, that messenger whispers in your ear all the lies that are going to doubly complicate your experience. This isn't fair. If God loved you, He would not ask this of you. This is impossible. Why would He put you through this? That little voice is whispering to everybody as we suffer. And sometimes it is the suffering that divides us from our God. We, we say, I, somehow I thought you were going to help me, but you're not helping me, and so I'm finished with you. Uh, in his despair, like any of us, Paul, in his intense pain, prayed. He remembers three specific times where by faith, really concentrating, he said, Would you take this away from me? Will you remove this? Uh, Three times echoes Jesus' Gethsemane. Uh, You remember on the night that he was crucified, Jesus did something similar. He goes to Gethsemane and says, Father, would you take this away? Would you take this cross, this cup, away from me? And as Jesus prayed that night, he realized the answer was going to be no he realizes, no, the Father was not going to remove this cup from him. And so at the close of that Gethsemane prayer, Jesus says, okay, then I want what you want, uh, your will rather than mine. At some point in Paul's three-time prayer, please God, your marriage, your your health, your children, your uh, nation, your doubts, your... Please, God, take this away. I cannot do it this way. At some point, God answers Paul. Was it the still, small voice? I don't know. But if you will look in verse 9, I want you to note sort of an anomaly in the English translation. I hope your version says, He has said to me. It's not a simple aorist. It's not a simple past tense. He does not say, He said to me at some moment. This is a, a perfect tense Greek verb, and that's so unusual that you, you're caught up by it. he He has said a perfect tense verb means it happened in a moment, but has like perfect and ongoing effect. So it's a momentary event, but it has this abiding echoed strength. So Paul said what happened, whether this day or in a previous day, God said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you and I need you to get your eyes off the pain and on to me and I will show you how to live through um, this, this pain. Our first thought about God is that if he loves us, he will remove the pain. And there is no scandal for a person asking for this pain to remove. Jesus asked for it, Paul. It's you are. It's fine for you to be a child before the father. Please, please. What is not fine is when you hear him say, "No, no, I'm going to leave this one in place, and it will turn your attention to me." Uh, our second thought is even higher: that our happiness is not God's plan. Our holiness is God's plan. That. Some parts of this new life can only be learned in pain, and so God uses it that way. Like the Lord, we learn here and only here to say, okay, then I will do it your way. I want what you want. Now let's just explore for a second the power of that prayer. It it doesn't have to be where you start. It's usually not where any of us start. But when he finally says, I need you to trust me. I need you to pick up that cross and carry it that you, like an obedient child, say, I will. I will. I'll stop my complaining. I'll stop my beefing. I'll stop my retreating. Uh, you, Lord, have called me, and I will carry, whether it's a marriage or a physical issue or uh, your, an internal issue, you say to your glory, I will carry this assignment. So, the fourth word is grace. Uh, it translates the word charis, charismatic, uh, charismatic leader, charis. It, it was the Greek word for gift. And we understand it as the active power of God given to people as an indication of his favor. It is God giving you a gift of power or insight or strength as an indication of his favor. Therefore, it represents two gifts. His favor in your life, he loves you and has covered you in his son, and now is investing power in your life to live. And here Paul breaks through into a new kind of life. This is the breakthrough moment. It's not life anymore measured or limited by human strength or human happiness. It's no longer about his career or his comfort or his credit. All those are past values. He now says, I want what you want. I want you, Lord, and if I can have you, I will be satisfied. That's a tremendous moment. And the reason it's tremendous is it's exactly how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus had lived his whole life. He begins to transcend earthly values. We stop using God as an instrumental. I want God because of all the other stuff he will give me. I want God because he'll give me a happy family. I want God because he'll give me my health. No, this is exactly opposite of that. I want God even if I get none of that. I want God in spite of the loss of all those things because then the world loses its ability to hurt you. All of a sudden, you begin to walk these days toward an eternal end. This is what, Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 4, while we look on unseen things, unseen realities. uh, Truth is, if you want to be holy, even your pains will help you. If you don't want to be holy, then they are going to defeat you. They're going to put you on the floor because of your broken heart. If you want to be his friend, which is the very purpose of all of life, then even your pains will help you get there. As I prepare for retirement, one of the things I've noticed in my own heart is this slow, full turning of my heart back to only Jesus, only Jesus. As I'm stripped of the pressures and the privileges of this previous chapter, my soul is desperate, desperate to know Jesus again and only him. But aren't we all in that together? Are you, dear ones, preparing for this new chapter? Are you letting the uncertainty of this moment rush you back into the presence of the Savior? Are you long on your knees and deep with your heart saying, Jesus, if I can just have you, I'll, it's, it's all I want. It's all I want. All of my other ambitions are to the side. I want you, Lord. Help me here. Uh, he is the single fixed point in the universe. And by the way, until you... Attached to that fixed point, there is no certainty in this world. You'll never find anything certain. Things and people and situations and jobs and health and even nations go away. You find no certainty till you are connected to that fixed point. So we're now back to the final, back full circle to the subject of boasting again. Paul said, I, I do boast. I, I do. I, I know who I am. I, I know what my assignment is. And part of that assignment is to be human. And part of the assignment of being human is weakness and being vulnerable. You are not bulletproof and God's not going to make you bulletproof. He, there is no way he built you for that. He built you as this very vulnerable but very gloriously in, imagined creature. Your best thing is that you can be his friend. Your best thing is not you can own the whole world because the minute you got the whole world, somebody would engineer to take it from you. You are not going to find that kind of strength. What you find is this wonderful privilege of being his and then even your pains help you. Uh, You see a world that's larger than your own success, an eternally bright world that you get to be a part of. But that will only happen, my brothers and sisters, if you accept without complaint or self-pity the same cross that Jesus carried. Jesus knew this. He knew from the start. He, He said to the disciples at the beginning, unless you deny yourself and pick up your cross, you're not going to be able to do this. It'll just be some false version of Christianity, but it won't be real. Unless you say no to all your dreams and all what you, what you wanted so much and take up the instrument that will kill that old you so the new you can be born, the you that's going to go to heaven, the you that's glad to be his friend, the you that is secure and filled with joy. Until that happens, none of this makes much sense. I think sometimes and I invite you to think with me this morning that before the Lord was crucified on that night, they pressed on his brow a crown of thorns. Not just one or two like a rose, but a full circle of his dear head pressed down both in ridicule and torture. And if by looking to the Father, Jesus could wear his crown and stay right on track, then by looking to him, I can do the same. And you can do the same. It's not the life I imagined, certainly, but it's better. It's better, I tell you. It's eternal. And something that you will boast about someday, that I knew him. I walked with him. I, I felt his pleasure. I felt his approval. I, I knew his love. And it's larger than any riches. Jesus used to say, take my yoke, take it. Limiting pressure, it's hard, take my yoke, learn from me, you'll find rest. Your soul will finally be at rest because my grace is sufficient for you. Always has been. Let's pray together. So we just preach an old gospel this morning that until you have Christ, you don't have anything, not anything that you're going to keep. And if you have Christ, then your heart must expand and have more of him and more of him and him to have more of you. There isn't a person in here who on this Thanksgiving Sunday doesn't owe him more of your heart and surrender and obedience. In a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing a hymn of dedication, but the whole body of us ought to dedicate ourselves again some to come kneel and pray, some to make a decision to join a church, some to come and confess Christ as your Savior and be baptized. Why in the world would you wait? I, 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 it is beyond me why a human race so loved by a great God, so provided for by His great Son, would now hesitate as a point of pride. Lord Jesus, minister to us this morning. This is your word, not mine. We thank you for our our brother Paul and how faithful he was to tell his story. But his story finally can't be mine, and it can't be anybody else's. Each of us in individual relationship must come to you in faith and surrender and love you. You who wore the crown of thorns, help me to stop complaining about my single thorn. Help me to serve you and love you and trust you in Jesus' name.